We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And Mike, let's look at today's pod from Darvin Ham's perspective. One of the things from looking at the roster after it was formed over the summer, one of the things that really stood out to me was there's not much distinction between your sixth guy and seventh guy and your 13th and 14th guy. And so it was a stage that was set for a lot of training camp battles, a lot of guys of similar talent to kind of battle each other and see who fits in and who doesn't. And from a coach's perspective, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much planning you do, how much theorizing, there's nothing like actually seeing them play and who fits in and who doesn't. And I think that we've had a pretty clear distinction, I think, in the role players that are kind of fitting in and gelling naturally and those who haven't. Now, some of those who haven't, I think over time, that will alleviate itself. It is a new team. Guys are kind of figuring out their role. But from Darwin's perspective, you got to find your nine or 10 that you're going to roll with. And so there are a couple of guys, one of whom you like before the season, who have really emerged. Um, and so let's start with Troy Brown Jr. Talk to me about what you're seeing from him. Troy Brown Jr., Pete, represented some upside just in the sense of I think that people followed his career very little for a former lottery pick who was still young because he got into the situation where in Washington, he was featured for about a year and then they decided to go in a different direction and he winds up in Chicago and in Chicago. And I, I asked Troy about this the other day. They basically said, shoot threes and play defense and go stand in the corner. They had a situation there where they had a lot of playmaking type guards uh, who were going to have the ball in their hands. And then even an alternative guard um, like Caruso was coming off the bench. But of course, it was Lonzo and then it was DeRozan and then it was Zach Levine. So it was three guys in that starting lineup who were all out there um, that had, you know, more skills certainly than Brown and more than a lot of wings would have when you have that kind of combination of players that are going to have the basketball. And, you know, Troy, he did that and he did that in Chicago, but he only played 18 minutes a game and he only got four shots a game up. Two of them were threes. And so he he really he was literally a three and D guy. 
he went down, he, he defended pretty well, but you didn't hear about him much. You know, he didn't have a, a big game anywhere. It wasn't like he, he won game. He got a bunch of shots. So, uh, but I had gone back and looked at some of what he did in, in Washington and just the way that he handled the ball. Like he's, he just does, he's has a little bit more from a skill set perspective than to just come in and do that. And that to me represented upside for the Lakers in that he's still 23 in that he's got some pretty good size in that he's got some pretty good length. Uh, he, I, I do like the way that he rebounds. And, and so even despite the fact that he didn't play in the preseason, I thought he came in and hit the ground running pretty well, you know, and to the point where the coaching staff clearly agreed because all of a sudden he's in the starting lineup and in his first start at Minnesota, he makes four threes. He doesn't make any against Denver, but he still rebounds the ball. Well, he gets to the hoop and he goes four for four from two. So I've been encouraged there in that that type of position is so difficult to find in the NBA, somebody that has some semblance of size. And even if he's not on his way to an all-star berth anytime soon, Pete, I think for what the Lakers had to, to deal with, um, this is looking like an early hit. Uh, and I'd like to see uh, if you agree and what you've noticed, not just in the game, in the watch, but in, in some of the film that you've done of him individually. He really fills that three spot nicely. I think that's something that we struggled with the first couple of games, especially in the starting lineup. Now, we haven't found a starting lineup that's worked yet, even in the game that we won against Denver the other day that was very much led by the bench. And I think that that's something that Darvin is starting to put that puzzle together. And so now it's it's just one little piece at a time of which I think Troy Brown on the existing roster is uh, probably our best fit for that. There was talk over the offseason of like, oh, Pat Bev and Austin Reeves can be wings. And it's like, well, that's rather hopeful, whereas Troy Brown is, you know, 6'11", wingspan, is a guy that can rebound. And Mike, that's the area that's really helped us, I think, the most. That's been a place that when you play a little bit smaller, if you've got AD at the four and Bron, or I'm sorry, AD at the five and LeBron at the four, that guy at the three spot not being a guard, but being a legit wing that can get you an eight rebound a game, can put a body on somebody. He's not the most physical guy, but in the absence of much of that on the rest of the roster. Really, the only other guy that can do that at that size-ish is JTA, but he's less of a shooter, less of an offensive player. And so our starting lineup has been really unconventional up until Brown came into it. And we're still a little smaller than the groups that we see, but that ability, Mike, to crack down on the boards, to if you're going to be a small team, you need guys who can play a little bit bigger, who can do a little more on the boards, on defense, with physicality, things like that. And so he's been super helpful in that respect in terms of like, I think he fits next to LeBron and AD in that starting group. I still think we need to probably make one more change in the backcourt, but just having a small forwardish type of guy that has that type of size and measurables, I, I think has been really helpful. Yeah. And it makes you think, so if Brown can play the position fine in terms of the three, well, he could certainly play the two also. And if you had some groups yeah. where you were more confident in who the center was, then you would get to that point of the positional size discussion that we had earlier in the I guess that was a couple weeks ago and I still think that that's a spot like those are the two spots clearly right where they could have a, a type of an upgrade but if if not then what are the advantages that they get by playing somebody like Brown like by being a little bit smaller because you're essentially then having Lonnie Walker by play the two as opposed to having a bigger classic wing and then bringing one of those guys off the bench so Pete, do you, th do you think that they can get something else, whether it's pace or uh, whatever it might be, from having a bit smaller of a 2-3 combo than what they would have in a more traditional sense? 
I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm really excited to hopefully see a traditional lineup where Brown is at the two. When we first introduced him, uh, you asked him about his defense and what he liked to do. And he's like, oh, I like to guard down. I like to guard smaller guys. And so that idea of Brown at the two spot, I'm really excited about the possibility of that. And I think there are a couple of looks that we can do with the current group. But if you're going to put him at the three, he's got some of those uh, jumbo initiator uh skills that Mike Garcia likes to talk about, right? He's got a little bit of that. I can handle the ball. He was out in open space, for example, Mike, and saw he had Jokic kind of on the break and he just took it all the way to the basket and made a, an off foot right-handed layup that if you're, ha- if you have a bigger group in there, maybe your guy at that three spot isn't capable of, you know, taking him into space. JTA, for example, that's probably not a layup or a shot that he'd take or make. And so just having that, he brings some of that generalist qualities, those generalist qualities that I think are really helpful, especially out of a vet men guy where he can pass a little bit, he can dribble a little bit, he can shoot a little bit. He, he's, uh, you know, d- just adds something in a whole bunch of different categories. And I think that that's been super helpful. Um, but the guy I wanted to transition to is the other guy you brought up there. And that's Lonnie Walker, the fourth. He's someone that he's been a little streaky. He's had some games where, you know, where he's up and down, but when he's clicking. I think he really represents a lot of what could be good about this team in the open court, his athleticism. He plays with a certain joy, Mike. He, he biffed a layup the other day. Uh, Austin tried to throw him a lob and he missed it. And AD tried to put it back and got fouled. And this is after Walker hit like four shots in the third was a big part of that run. And he's like sitting there on the baseline, like exhausted. And he's patting his chest and he's got a big old smile on his face. Like my bad, Austin, my bad. And Austin daps him up and turns around and Lonnie gives him a big old hug from behind. And there's just a certain amount of like joy and uh, appreciation to have the opportunity and be in the moment that I I just think a big part of Lonnie's personality is going to be an important part of the personality of this team. So talk to me about what you're seeing from Lonnie. To start with the personality, I had asked somebody in San Antonio, and I might have referenced this after Lonnie Walker was acquired, just about him as a guy. And he said he's great. Uh, He's a great guy. He's one of the guys that does a ton of stuff in the community, but doesn't have to tell you about it all the time. And so you can, I think you can, usually if you're going to have a guy that does that, then you're going to have the type of teammate that you just referenced as well, who's going to have fun with his teammates on the court and is going to be cheering for guys and isn't going to be sort of personally competing with his own roster, um, which does happen some. So that I think is, that's something that I had expected. What I was trying to figure out was his three-point shooting percentage for a guy that when you <laughs> uh-huh. watch him live and when I watched him live in person over the last couple of years in San Antonio, it looks pretty good when the shot goes up. Like He's got good extension. Uh, the release looks pretty good. He certainly shoots with confidence, but the percentages didn't really back that up. And I think that we saw early this season, Pete, in the first couple of games, of course, it's still early, but we saw that his shot selection isn't the best. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even in terms of the threes, like when he's taking them, where he's taking them from, where they come in the context of the ball flowing around the half court or even in transition. So that's still, I think, an area uh, that that's going to need to get a little better. And maybe the way that it does is that he gets an established spot and he continues to know the players that he's playing with, where he's going to get the basketball, when it's best to move it on. Once they get a little bit better cohesion, basically, and the stuff to back that up. Last year before the All-Star game, 29.4% from three on 4.7 attempts, uh, which which is not great. And then after the All-Star break, 36.7% from three on 6.1 attempts. So he started taking more threes. They started going in at a higher rate, and that is uh, slightly above league average right there. 
especially especially on a high volume. So I do think he has the capability of it. And the last game was the first time that we saw some of the jump shots start to go in and then the confidence build. And you mentioned the third quarter run, Pete. He, you know, the Lakers were down eight and Jokic was was kind of looming. You know, they had they had yet to go to their full bench lineup, which really helped the Lakers. But and he hit a tough pull up two, then he hit a pull up three. Then he had a shot from the other side of the court, and that really got the Lakers going. And it was, again, it was from jump shots, which is not something that if it, that anybody has hit this season. So Lonnie, in a little bit of a different way from Troy Brown, where Troy Brown comes in and they're so, they're so sorely lacking in the types of things that a bigger, even a big, not a full big wing, but a big-ish wing can do in Troy. Mm-hmm. Lonnie is, is, to me, more of, they've had guys that do some of the stuff that Lonnie does, but he's but if he's going to do it well then that makes the difference between winning and losing some nights uh, which i think was part of what we saw against ever yeah he has a certain forcefulness to how he plays that's just a combination of his motor and athleticism that if he's playing well there's nobody else kind of at those positions that can quite do it like him so while i agree with your point right that we've got other guys that can play the guard spot and it's less like troy brown jr where it's like we got nobody else so you're super helpful with with what you do the lonnie can get to certain levels it and it really is jump shooting is the missing piece where he's streaky with that. He reminds me a lot of Jordan Clarkson, right? Where there are times where JC, like his overall three point percentage has not been great over the course of his career, but he gets it going when he's feeling that and, and he's, his jumpers dropping, he can hit several in a row. And I think he hit four or five jumpers. I think it was four jumpers in that uh, third quarter run, like you referenced. And so he just has a level of explosiveness and electricity that in context of LeBron and AD, that's one of the things that I'm noticing, Mike, about the guys who have been helpful is that they've got a certain level of pop athletically, motor-wise. And it makes sense on a LeBron in a year 20, an AD who's back. He's given us he's given us everything he's got, but his back is limited. Just having those guys that like that's one of the things that I see across the spectrum in terms of guys who are helping. He hasn't played enough for me to really throw him in the conversation with Lonnie and Troy Brown Jr., but you know, I'm a big win in Gabriel advocate. And that's, I think he provides a lot of that from the big man spot. It's kind of this youth and athleticism and exuberance and motor and all of that, that that's, those are the guys that I really see reflecting well off of our stars. And so I know it's been limited minutes, Mike, and I've, you hear me preaching about him a lot in the text thread, but what have you seen from winning? I generally think that his mix ends up on the positive when I'm watching him and it's not always pretty, but he does the, he does enough stuff and he has enough of that uh, mix of requisite athleticism. But then what you like to point out in the group thread, he just has some better offensive instincts than some of the other bigs and those kind of things play out. So I'd, I'd like you to explain that actually. Uh, I think that would be a good way to, to, for people to understand why Gabriel is sometimes seeming like he's, he's in the right place at the right time. And it's probably more intentional uh, than some might think just based on his uh, his pop and kind of how frenetic he looks out there. For sure. Yeah, he, he can be uh, speaking of exuberance, right? He can take that a little a little far sometimes. And he's not the most skilled guy, right? He airballed a 12 footer the other day. But 
he made comments in the Media Day interview that he did talking about, yeah, I played with Milwaukee's G League team, so I kind of know this offense. And he's someone you don't you rarely ever hear a player of his kind of archetype being referred to as a high IQ player, but he's totally a high IQ player within this offense. I sent you guys a clip uh, in the Minnesota game where Wenyan was in the dunker spot and LeBron started driving kind of right at him. And there are all sorts of if-then situations in this style of offense where it's read and react. And so you read what the other guy's doing, and then you react based off of that. But you have to do it quickly, and you have to be able to anticipate. So as LeBron's driving from the top of the key right at Wenning in one of the dunker spots, Wenning immediately gets out of that spot and shifts to the other side of the basket. LeBron dumps it right off to him for a layup. But that relocation from the dunker spot to the other side, that's part of the if-then uh, that that I always talk about, uh, that read and react is if you're in the dunker spot and someone drives at you, you relocate to the other side. If you're in the dunker spot and the person drives to the other side of the basket, you hang in that spot. If that person is driving from the corner and they drive baseline and you're uh, on the opposite side or on either side, you shouldn't be on the, on the strong side. You should be on the opposite side. But if the ball's in the corner and they drive toward the basket, you do what's called tee up, meaning that you get to the front of the rim. And so every position has these if the guy with the ball does this, then you do that. Wenyan makes those reads faster than any of the bigs that we have. TB is pretty good at this too, and he's just a bigger person. So there's just a little more strength uh, involved when he does this. And I'm super excited to see him do that. And that's the biggest part that I see Damian Jones struggling with. So let's take a quick break, come back, talk about the guys that haven't clicked quite as much. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So those guys who haven't quite clicked as much to me are Damian Jones, Kendrick Nunn, and Patrick Beverly. And I'm super interested to get into Pat Bev, but... To the point I was making about Gabriel earlier, Jones and Nunn in particular, like, Mike, you know when you sort of know the lyrics to a song and, you know, you sing along to the chorus, you got that down just fine, but it gets to the verse and you're like, no, 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 you know, line here and there. But that's basically Damian Jones and Kendrick Nunn on offense right now in particular, where like they don't kind of really know the words, but they're singing along. And so maybe that rectifies itself over a month or two, but those two guys I've really seen struggling and a lot of the plus minus data and all of that really backs that up. I was trying to impress my wife the other day in the car. We're listening to some 90s hip hop and I had 
like 75% of a verse. And so I was picking up steam, you know, and starting to say it with my chest. And then I, and then I hit a spot (laughs) where I could not remember what the next lyric was. And you know, the, the feeling of internal shame when you get to that point, because you're peacocking and, and sort of being aggressive. And then once, but it's so immediate when you miss a lyric that the other person can't help but notice, and it's very, you know, it's right, just, right, and and then you can never say it with your chest. That, that at least that time, you're you're done. Yeah, that's the thing is, so you really have to know if you're going to do lyric memorization, you really got to do the whole thing. Uh, okay, so transitioning <laughs> this back to the Lakers roster, this part of this, and then also what we were talking about with the guys that had some pop because we were talking about, of course, with Walker and Brown and Gabriel, and I was looking at the, I was thinking about and then pulling up the roster early last season. And just the difference between those three and, you know, Kent Bazemore, DeAndre Jordan, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, and Avery Bradley. Those those were sort of the rest of the rotation players. Austin was playing. He's still playing in Russ. And that's a big difference in what in sort of the mix of athleticism and the size type thing and just the youth and the exuberance and the guys that you need around LeBron and AD. Now, ideally, those guys that, that are doing that also have some more size. Not to do the whole 1920 argument again. So sure. just establishing that and moving forward to like to what they're what it is that they're lacking some uh, this year. And with Beverly, I'm this has been a little bit confounding because the first couple of games, even though he, he wasn't really playing like he was last year yet, but he was still after three games. And this is these are the three games where the Lakers had um, some, you know, they had a chance to win certainly the clip, the Clipper game and then the Blazer game had they held on late. And that was, we talked about Russ coming in off the bench and et cetera, but Beverly still had a pretty good plus minus in those games. And he, like, he wasn't hitting shots, but he was being pretty controlled offensively and playing defense and getting in guys. He did a really good job on Paul George. So there were some signs there. And then the, the plus minus especially just fell has fallen way off uh, in the previous couple of games. And I still I want to do a, kind of a closer look, which I think that you have. So what I what I'm going to do is just punt this back to you uh, and see what you've noticed about the Beverly thing because I'm still trying to step back some. But I have I have one theory, but I, I would love to first hear yours. Yeah, I think it depends on what side of the court you're talking about. I think he's been good defensively. He hasn't been quite as disruptive, but part of it's also you know the the matchups that he's been guarding and with the smaller looks that we've had, and so I think he's really helping the team defense though. Yeah. In one thing, just point, pointing guys to where to be, directing, like making sure that everybody is still up and intense, and, and just that sort of accountability alone, I think yes. makes a difference. But but then the offense for sure, and and but as part of that too, one of the things that I see from the melt footage and all of that is uh, Pat Bev when he's on the sidelines, he's there's always conversations. He's super in the moment about what's happening in the game at that time. And so he's talking to teammates, giving them unsolicited advice, <laughs> but that's something that's good on a team. Like, like that's part of that accountability that you're talking about is, you know, this guy's given, gave us a problem before the timeout. He scored a couple of buckets. Hey, we need to do this and that. And you're fixing problems in the moment. It's super important when it comes to, to progressing as a team, but offensively, that jumper, it, it's funny, Mike, Kobe used to always say that it's not for everyone about playing for the Lakers. And I'm more convinced than ever that 
part of the reason it's more difficult to shoot for the Lakers, it's just a bigger spotlight. Uh, spotlight. Uh, Derek Fisher was talking in the post game the other day, or may have been the pregame, and talking to Allie Clifton and asking Allie, like, hey, what, you know, she's from a small town in Ohio. And he's like, all right, imagine you're playing in a band at a bar in the, your hometown and there's four people watching you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go on you're asked to go on stage with with Prince or, you know, like some big act in terms of the nerves that you have. It's just going to be completely different. And that's but what I've been really surprised at from Pat Bev is I've never taken him as someone who's lacking in confidence. But I see him passing up a ton of shots now that he wasn't passing up earlier. And some of them he should have been passing up for sure. But I see a certain degree of like hesitation. But if he's not taking his shots, Mike, he didn't have anything else offensively really to go to. And so when we moved Russ to the bench, the first game we tried uh, with uh, against Minnesota, we tried Pat Bev as our point guard, as the kind of the guy that let LeBron be off of the ball a little bit more. And he's so he's such a minimal threat as a scorer that like it didn't open up opportunities for others. And just, we weren't able to score as a result of that. So I'm super curious where Pat Bev fits into this. I think he's part of it for sure, but is he part of the starters? Is it, he, he hasn't reflected particularly well off of LeBron and AD and kind of what, what they need. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Yeah. And that's, that's a complicating factor. If the starting lineup is Troy Brown and Lonnie Walker, on the wing who you're not going to have one of those guys really initiate too much. I suppose Walker could do it from time to time, but Beverly really needs to be an actual three and D guy. Like what I was talking about earlier with what Chicago wanted Brown to be. Uh, And last season, the three point shooting for Beverly was just better. um, Even though the percentage was lower. So he, in October, he shot the ball pretty well. It was only four games. He only shot 29% in November. And then he shot 28% in December he ended up getting hot later in the season and that's why his overall percentage was a little bit higher, but still it was, it was lower than it has been for his career. And it, but his volume was at least up. So it was, it was like 4.5, 4.1. This is month by month, 5.4, 4.3. So he was getting those shots up in the offense. And there was, I think also Pete that there were, there were more open looks and there was more time in those looks because of what else Minnesota was having out there, which was towns at the five you know, very often. And then Russell, uh, they had Malik Beasley, who was bombing threes all season at a high clip. And so people are constantly running at him. And they really only had one guy in Vanderbilt that just wasn't shooting, but he was in the dunker spot. So the types of threes that he's been getting with this Lakers team, where like teams are not reacting the same way to to LeBron or to AD, where they're like, go ahead and please shoot that so you don't kill us inside. And, you know, Walker starting off slow. So I think that teams are still within range of Beverly. Now, that's not to say he doesn't miss some wide open shots because we, we know that he has, especially those ones in the corner um, against Portland and the Clippers. But this is where he it's a mix of him having to just take those shots more and having the confidence to do it. But to the point that you it seemed like you were arriving at, would you tweak the rotation some and would it be then Austin? In that spot, yeah, you move it's an interesting. And then- so let me flip that back on, on you, Mike. Where, where are you at in the uh, Pat Bev? starters bench like where does pat pat bev fit on this team well i still like his i like his early energy and i like the way that he makes guys move defensively you know enough where even if he's his three-point shooting is where it's at right now um i still see some value in that in starting out the halves uh and i think that darvin gave him a bit of a quicker hook and ended up not going back to him in the last game so i'm 
I get that it doesn't fit great unless you're having LeBron do more point guard stuff. But until Dennis Schroeder gets back, and I think that Schroeder may end up being the solution here, where he still gives you some of that defensive intensity and defensive energy, but he's going to be a little bit more dangerous for defenses. Like you can't just ignore Dennis out there. Um, He'll get to the rim in one second. And, and hopefully he doesn't do that too much, but in the meantime, I'd be, I'm fine. Like, I don't know if it's going to win or lose you a ton of games. If you switch him in Austin um, to that much of an extent. So I, I could go either way, Pete, but I do think that eventually as Schroeder returns, then that's where Beverly might maybe settles into more of a bench role. It's so funny. You ended up there. I, I didn't think you would, but that's where I'm at too. In terms of with Dennis, I think he's got a good shot at uh, filling that spot precisely for that reason. Cause he can defend, but also give you some of that offensive pop. And with respect to Austin, I like Austin off of the bench, but as a closer, like he played 28, 29 minutes the other night. And part of it, Mike is, I think he's really good with those LeBron at the five groups, but also good with those AD at the five groups. And uh, he's plays very well next to Russ. And this goes back to yeah, that last season. Point. I like how, his energy level next to Russ kind of it seems like that gets him going some for sure and I think it's part partially his skills too right and that if he's next to Russ he he can run some pick and roll he adds some of that that skill where Russ is kind of more physicality and and speed and all of that um and and so Austin being able to kind of use his skills in those groups uh, as either a spot up player or an on uh, an on ball player, I think just he's got a really good mix that fits next to LeBron and AD and Russ, right? So I think Austin continuing to come off the bench early on, right, uh, and then in the closing lineup, I think is the way to go with that. But Pat Bev, I'm very curious to see to where he fits in. Uh, I think I think those groups off of the bench, he'd be helpful there too. So that's part of the reason why I think perhaps Dennis will end up in that starting lineup. But it's also very easy to look uh, look at the guy who's not here and be like, oh yeah, that guy's the solution. But I see us having more answers with our bench groups right now than we do with our starters. So very curious to see what form that takes. There's even an argument to say that Lonnie fits that uh, that description as well, where he might be better off of the bench, even in the same type of role. But those are the groups that he's really shined with and less so with LeBron and AD, if you look at the plus minus numbers and even with the tape. So still have a lot of uh, questions to answer with that starting group. But I think Darvin's starting to see who his guys are, who are and who aren't. Um, who matches, who fits naturally, who does less so. And really, you need nine um, at at, at this point of the season. And I think that we're on our way to that. So, all right, it's going to be a little bit of a a shorter one. We will be back tomorrow, talk more Lakers and preview the Pelicans game. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. 
There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.